Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. We're in Christmas season. You can see it with a, a few stars and lights and everything else that is happening. Also some of the songs that we're going to be singing. And I want to take a moment to speak about this season. God's purposes, God's plans as we've seen them in years gone by, plus minus 2,000 years ago, but what he's wanting to do today. I am going to get confused between Christmas and Easter. My son's just finished my trick exams and I was one that struggled in Afrikaans. And yet when that Afrikaans invigilator came that picks out five people from a trick from your school and decides I'm going to sit with you just to see if the standard is accurate, uh, I was one of those chosen much to the terror of my peers because they thought our marks could tank. And anyway, she asked us about Christmas in Afrikaans and I proceeded to tell her all about Easter. And so if I get confused, my son's just done my trick and I might be reliving some of those uh, moments. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to jump in at verse 26, and we're going to select a few verses. But really, it's this concept that this season is a season where all through the nativity story, we see people combining faith to the purpose of God. It's faith that activates all of heaven's fullness to come as God's purposes are carried out. And so the word and the challenge that we see coming throughout this nativity season that we're wanting to pull the meaning out of while we're in December is... This, this phrase that we will hear repeated over and over when heaven pitches up, when the angelic pitches up, and it's this, fear not. And this is called to be a season of faith in your life, not a season of fear. If you've come in here, and I want to say it's the first weekend of December, I truly believe, even as we share this message, it's something about coming into alignment with the heart of God, that He's wanting to shift you up and out of fear, and to position and propel you forward in faith, because He's got a purpose for you. Amen. We say amen, it means so be it. So let's say that again, amen? amen. I'm glad that you're in faith with me. So the first thing we see as we see these angelic encounters happen is this phrase, fear not. And as we look at it, we'll see the angel's gonna appear to Mary and there, there's something in her that you can see in her thought pattern, in her process, that even as heaven's pitching up, she maybe feels she wants to retract. She wants to pull back because sometimes there can be a fear in what we feel God wants from us or what he's purpose for us that doesn't fit in with our plans. It can be, you know, in the natural, we've got people that we feel want something from us and we can be annoyed because that disrupts us. And so we want to pull away from them. I mean, has your phone ever rung and you just know this person is so annoying. They just want to get something from me. I'm going to let it go to voicemail. I know you've done it because you've done it to me when I try to phone you. I've got the call log to show it. Or maybe you've been going somewhere and there's someone that presses up and says, can you give me this or that? And they want, and your first maybe response is annoyance. Um, and there, there's a sense of, no, I'm going to just avoid. Or you see someone in the shopping aisle and you think, oh, I'm just going to go down a different aisle and ignore them. None of you done that. Me neither. <laughs> And sometimes I believe that there are others, not us, who unknowingly treat God in the same way. We feel, you know, well, I'll go to him when I want things, but I'm not going to be too attentive or aware. I'm going to kind of dull out when he asks, because I know with his ask, he's got desires, and it's going to pull me out of my desires and designs, and it's going to call me into other moments. 
And so we start to treat him in the same way. But with the good stuff, we love to pitch up. We love to draw close because we want blessing. We want to encounter his goodness. And we want to encounter his grace that enables us to get things that we can't get in our own capacity. We want his favor. We just don't want to live with heaven's, uh, in a sense, agenda for us that doesn't match up with our own. Because here's the thing. If I listen to him and I surrender, then I'm going to have to surrender all parts of my life. And then he's going to ask me to do things I don't want to do. Like maybe he's going to ask me or send me to deepest, darkest Australia. Or deep... In America, they always talk about uh, deepest, darkest Africa. So I had to shift it up on us. Leanne used to joke with me that I married her for a green card. And I tell her, no, no, you married me for a green passport. Well, maybe you feel that God's going to ask you to do something else, like an Ale- Ale- this is not Leanne's case. This is totally different. But maybe you feel if I'm going to surrender to him, young people, that he's going to make me marry someone unattractive. Don't nod your heads, wives, and uh, put your husbands under pressure. All I can say is God's got the best for you. Don't you worry. Leanne surrendered and she got me. So feel encouraged. That's your Christmas encouragement. But we can live under this unbearable burden of fear. I'm going to be honest now. Leanne said, uh, and when she was praying for her husband, she said, don't let him be short, bald, or too pale. It's the personality, people. But sometimes there's this this fear that we live in, that we can feel overwhelmed, that can overtake us. And I want to say we're living in times of fear that we didn't even experience three years ago in the midst of COVID. I mean, we thought that was bad, but things have got progressively worse. I mean, it's adult fears. You, you know, you got kids' fears, and kids' fears are like, the, my cupboard is slightly open and I'm worried that something's there, or my, my bed's about that high off the ground and I'm worried a big monster's fitting under my bed. As a youngster, which my uh, son has learned from me, I just surrounded myself with toys. And I thought these things would protect me. And my little guy's got the the same idea. But now we've got grown-up fears. We worry about the economy. Is the economy going to stay buoyant? We worry about um, our employment. Are we going to be able to keep that? We worry about the interest rates. Are they going to keep sparking? We worry about the affordability of our home loan. And can we keep servicing that? We worry about the decisions our kids are making. If you've got matric children and they're not here in church, where are they this week? Uh, we could worry about with that. We worry about our decisions by allowing them to go out. We start to worry about things like that. I mean, there's this real fear of what's happening in the Middle East. There's the fear about elections coming and are we going to have righteous, integrous leaders? There's this fear about AI. Is AI going to take over the world? Chat GPT. This message was written for you by ChatGPT. No, no, I'm just kidding. Some people will say, well, we're talking about a season of faith. Well, fear is the absence of faith. And I want to actually argue that fear is actually faith. It's not just the absence of faith. It is actually faith. But it's faith that's been placed within what ifs rather than who he is. It's faith that we start to place in the what ifs. And that's which is this fear that is faith, that is working in the what ifs. What if the economy crashes, as I've said? What if I lose my job? What if someone I love gets terminally ill? What if I never get married? What if I do get married and they're a bit like that person? I mean, all these what ifs that might run through our minds. You see, fear is putting your faith in the worst case scenarios rather than in the wonder of who God is. 
fear is putting your faith in worst case scenarios. And we can be overtaken by that. I, I know we live in this place, as I've mentioned. Caroline Leaf put up this post on Instagram. I follow her. She's a Christian psychologist. I don't know who Meredith Island is. But she, she put this, having a partner who doesn't have anxiety is wild. They're just sitting there, maybe having a snack, not worried at all. But it's speaking about this real pandemic of fear and anxiety that is marking our generation, marking our kids, marking our lives, that we just feel anxious no matter what we're doing. We're never at a place of rest or at peace. And this can be troubling us. And the Lord wants to call us out of that place and call us to the purposes that he has for us. I've got an, another friend who is not here today, and I won't mention his name, but this friend, when he was younger, he battled, was before cell phones, so it's a long-going friendship, as you can work out, but he would battle. If you were at his house and the phone rang, he didn't know it was for him, but he would be terrified. He would say, no, it is the police. He would go pale and jittery, and he would say, they're after me for something I've done. I, never th I thought it was irrational back then, but I never thought to ask, what have you been up to? It's the things we ponder as we look back over this. I Let's move on. I didn't ask him the question. But there was this irrational fear. And here's the thing I want to declare over you and I want to declare to you right now is fear is not from God. It's not his heart for you, his desire for you, his design for you, or what he's destined you for. Fear is not from God. And this is the good news according to his word in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. We can put it on the screen. God has not given us what? God has not given us a spirit of fear. Won't you say this with me? God has not given me a spirit of fear. Say it this way. I have not been given a spirit of fear. I have been given a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. And today I want to address that fear, and I want to try and uh, to, to break the shackle of living under something that you're never called to carry so that you can be set free in the freedom of his favor and his purpose, his desire and his design for your life, to experience the fullness of all that's been given and promised to us, prophesied through the ages concerning this moment that we're celebrating through this season in December, that new things can be burst, full of heaven's best, even as they were 2,000 years ago in Jesus. So let me ask this question. What is it that we are afraid of concerning God's plans? We can put that up. Next slide, thank you. Why are we afraid of God's plans? Let's do some uh, delving in and deep dive in our own hearts because next week we got Luke de Fluch, who's a son in the house, who's now full-time at a church in Australia, and he's going to be speaking on purpose. So I want to free us up a bit so that we can run freely in purpose as he speaks to us next week. Why is it that we are often afraid of God's plans? Number one, you ready for this? Okay, I'm going to do it anyway. Number one, God's interruptions are often inconvenient. His interruptions are often inconvenient. Here we see Mary, Luke 1, verse 26 to 29. And it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth is also miraculously pregnant through an angel that appeared to her, and she's carrying John the Baptist. And then it goes on to say, and God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And this angel appears, and sometimes in our world today, we get the wrong picture of what this is like. We can read this, and we've got our own conceptions and look through our own lenses. But an angel is not how we picture, small, cuddly, cute, little bit chubby, pink, maybe sitting on a cloud, bow and arrow and a hop. These are not the angels we are speaking about. 
When this angel pitches up, you need to know what it is going to be is encountering someone powerful, someone strong, someone who is a heavenly being, someone who is carrying the message of God from the very lips of God to deliver. There's something impressive, something holy, something um, powerful about the Lord's servants as they come to minister to us. They are able to strike down a nation with a simple command of God, and yet they're also so submitted to his heart and his desire and his goodness that they are able to lovingly and carefully serve those that he entrusts to him. And so we see that this is a moment where there's encounters with Michael. This is with, as I've said, with Gabriel. And it goes on to say in verse 27, She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greeting, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And she was in this moment, it goes on to say, confused. And it says she was disturbed. Because here's the thing, when an angel appears to you, you may be not going to feel, as I said, high levels of excitement in that moment. It can be confusing and disturbing. Confusing because you think, what is going on here? And disturbing because you're probably about your own plans, your own agendas, and your own desires. And so something is disruptive that's taking place as this angel appears. And Mary's trying to think, what does this mean? What's going on? So let me give a little bit of a backstory so we can understand what Mary might have been facing. They believe that she would have been about 14, 15, or 16 years old because she was engaged to Joseph. And in that day, in that culture, at that age, you would be betrothed to someone to get married. So what would have been going on in her life before this angel appeared that confused her and disrupted her? Well, if she's like any young lady, I'm sure that we know today, she would have been planning and preparing and getting ready for the marriage day. She would have been spending her time, she's most likely in this day and age would be sitting on Pinterest, looking at all the creative ideas to have an awesome, unique, I'm gonna use a fancy word, bougie, is that the right word, young people? Bougie wedding. And she's thinking, how am I gonna get this together? She might've been practicing her signature with her new last name because she wants to be able to sign those checks right. She would have been dreaming, well, my husband's a carpenter. That means with his salary, that maybe after three years of being in a smaller apartment, then we can get the bigger three-bedroom, and we can have the white picket fence, and then after maybe five years, we can have children. And maybe if we have children, remember, it's this day and age we're speaking about, if we have a boy, we could call him Eben or Sia or Cheslin. And if it's a girl, I like the name Kitsi or Jasper. That's what I'd go with. And suddenly the angel interrupts all of her plans. And it's incredibly inconvenient. And it doesn't link up with the future that she's got mapped out in her head. And what can we learn from this? What can we take forward in this season as God's speaking to us about provoking faith in our hearts and ridding us of fear? Well, here's an important principle. If we can go to the next slide. What we call God's disturbing interruptions are often God's divine invitations. What we call God's disturbing interruptions are often God's divine invitations. They don't often come at the time we think would be best for them to happen, but they always come with the best timing of heaven and intentionality of the Father's heart, goodness, lavishness, and kindness. And we land up in those moments saying, God, you are interrupting my plans. And God says, I'm not interrupting your plans. I'm inviting you into my purpose for your life. How do we respond? Are we caught up in those moments? And just take a moment and think in your own life, what, what seems like interruptions that keep coming that you actually sense are coming from the heart of God? 
And are you just aware of them and ignoring them? Or are you actually making space in your life and response in your life that you see a welcome mat of invitation that you're going to step forward in and through on everything he's calling you to that's going to be higher, better, and more glorious than what you could work out in your own capacity? We see it throughout Scripture, this challenge of the interruption and the invitation. We see it with Moses. He's going about his everyday life. He's just walking as he has been for 40 years, tending sheep. And then there's a burning bush. It's an interruption. But it catches him and and the voice of God comes. The Lord encounters him and invites him to be a deliverer of the people of Israel. You see it with David where he is tending sheep. And the Lord interrupts him because a prophet arrives and interrupts him from tending sheep and anoints him through invitation to be the king of Israel. We see it with Paul, who was Saul at the time, and he's off to kill some Christians. He's ready to go and persecute those who love Jesus. And he is encountered on a road, interrupted and invited to become a display of God's grace and a carrier of the good news to the Gentile people. There's something that shifts in hearts and in lives when we allow God's invitation to call us into the more that he has for us. And sometimes we've been shaking off God's invitations because we think they're interruptions. And we need to come back and we need to say, Lord, I've been turning a deaf ear. I've been sending it straight to voicemail. I've not been engaging because I haven't really believed that your heart is good, that your heart is true, that you are really for me and that your plans are better than mine, your purposes are greater than mine and your desires for my life will actually lead me into the destiny that I feel fully alive in. And so we need to come to him and say, Lord, this is where I am with what he's been asking and to reassess those moments so that we can experience the happenings of heaven that start to take place. And maybe one of those interruptions is your journey here at Harvest. I remember a good friend of mine and his family had been in the earlier service. He's now passed on to be with the Lord. But I remember he used to get dragged to Harvest on a son. I had the privilege of baptizing him uh, in uh, Pemba, Mozambique and doing his life celebration which was just a life turned around and changed and fully in love and living for the glory of God. What a beautiful testimony. But I remember that he used to come to harvest and he used to get dragged. It was an interruption. He was nagged by his family. He thought, no, I'm not going to come. But eventually he came and then something started to shift. It was an instant. He thought, you know, I'll come endure it and then I'll get to go home and then my family will leave me in peace. But after a few weeks, the song started to, to move him and Sometimes the messages and the word that was brought would start to speak directly to him. And there were times in the presence of God that he felt so close that he knew his heart was softening. And then he knew it wasn't an instant moment where he felt no God's changed me. But he knew after time in the presence of God, he was changed. And he stopped being someone who heard about Jesus, getting information just about him to someone who was transformed by him and fully alive and in love and finding himself in the love of God. And these things happen to us as God doesn't only interrupt, but he invites us into the more. What's your story? What's happened in your life? What interruptions have taken place where you've seen God move before? And are you alert and aware to him? And have you got your antenna up for where he's wanting to do that again? And we can think, well, Lord, you know, how's this going to happen? How do I make myself available to it? We're going to see this a little bit further as we continue to read. But we first need to be aware of those interruptions. So the angel of the Lord appears to the skull, verse 30. Let's go on. And he says this, this famed and famous line that the angels always do as they pitch up. It's fear not. 
Do not be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. As I read from the New um, Living Translation, the King James says, fear not. But the New Living Translation says, do not be afraid, Mary. The angel of the Lord told her, for you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. And there's something about this part that, that grips us because we love this idea of favor, and we should. It is beautiful. I found a definition that I hadn't seen before of favor that really uh, that gripped me, and it's this. This is what favor is. It's demonstrated delight. Favor is the Father's demonstrated delight over your life. And it's not just in the material things, but it's material, it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's relational, it's vocational. It might be in any way, but he's going to come and he's going to demonstrate his goodness and his blessing that is undeserved, but lavish from his heart toward you. And it's his demonstrated delight. It is visible evidence of God's blessing. And favor upon you is something that's distinguishable, as I've mentioned, but it's also something that's going to open up doors. Favor will open doors for you and lead you to places that you couldn't otherwise go. But favor is not exactly what Mary thought it was going to be in this story. And you might have God's favor on you and yet you don't recognize it. Because here's the thing. Sometimes God's favor doesn't seem favorable in the moment. Because it's not judged in the moment. It's judged by the momentum that it brings to your life. Sometimes God's favor doesn't seem favorable in the moment. And this is what's happening with Mary. God's giving her favor and she's thinking, oh, this is awesome in her mind. Favor looks like this. It means I'm going to be on that wedding show. I'm going to be on that one where I just say yes to the dress. I'm going to be in that moment where I'm given uh, not only a free wedding reception and photographer, but maybe honeymoon as well. Maybe the down payment for the deposit of our new home together. This is going to be favor. But favor doesn't seem always favorable in the moment. It's something very different to what Mary experiences. And we're going to see this. So the first point we saw was this, that his interruptions are often inconvenient. And this is why we're afraid of his plans, because his interruptions are often inconvenient. And number two, God's purpose is different from your plans. We can be in fear of God's desire for our life because his purpose is different from our plans. And this is Mary in the midst of this moment. Let's continue to read. Verse 31 to 33, and you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus and he will be very great and he'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. You can imagine the charge that's coming to this young lady of what she's carrying as her emotions swing back and forth in this moment. He interrupts her with this invitation he disturbs her plan, and then he reveals his purpose for her. And I mean, here's the thing. You can imagine what she's going through. And I'm going to say something I'm going to retract in just a moment. You can see suddenly I've got everyone's attention. But you can feel the pressure on this young girl um, that we would feel, you know, as parents, there's pressure just to raise a little sinner. But imagine the pressure to raise the son of the Most High God. Now, I know I got all your attention. I apologize for calling your kids little sinners. I retract that. Said I was going to do it. They're saints, but I wanted to get your attention. Can you imagine the pressure on her for just that moment? And she's going to go through thinking, I've been chosen. This is awesome by the Most High God. And then she's going to go through the moment, oh, what, what are people going to think of me when they hear this? Because in that day and age, they'd stone you and kill you for falling pregnant out of wedlock. And so there's this moment where she's going to feel honored and she's going to be feeling I've been chosen, and then there's this moment where she'll be in fear, where she's going to think, I'm going to have to tell Joseph. And here's the difference between faith and fear. Faith will have the I've been. God's done it. 
It's been given. I've been chosen. I get to receive it. Fear will always be motivated by the I have to. I've got to. I've got to do this. And so you can start to see what area of your life are you in fear or are you in faith? But is this the I've been and I get to or is this I have to and I've got to? What's going on? And she's going to have to go out and bring Joseph this message. You can imagine what's going on in her heart because God's purpose was very, very different to the plan that she saw and she imagined unfolding. But just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's purposes higher than our purposes and so is his plans greater than any plan that we can think up, dream up, hope or imagine. And so this isn't just an interruption to scare her, but it's an invitation to settle her in the goodness and the supply of God's heart towards her. And here's the encouragement. You don't have to understand the plan to trust the Father's purpose. You don't have to understand the plan to trust the Father's purpose. He's just calling you into faith. He's not calling you into be the, the engineer, architect, and strategist. We're going to see that later. And so maybe you're in the place where you, don't, you can't see, you can't work out the plan. Maybe you've lost your job and you're like, Lord, I cannot see your purposes in this. But maybe you're one of those where you lost employment, but it provoked you to start to step out on some of the things you had been dreaming in your heart. And maybe you started your own business and that's positioned you and placed you in a whole new level of, of functioning that you would have never been in before if you had got stalled in the interruption rather than propelled in the invitation. You see, what we often think of as curse can be our greatest blessing if we're willing to trust God and see his purposes through it. And so this is what's happening to, to Mary here. And maybe you're in that place where you're thinking, you know what? I, I just can't see my way through this. I can't believe my way through this. I can't trust my way through this. But God is saying, no, I'm wanting, to, I'm wanting you to allow me, I'm putting an invitation, and I'm wanting you to partner and invite me into your life so I can bring around the difference. Verse 34, and this is Mary's thought, even as it would be ours. But how can this happen? I'm still a virgin. I mean, it's absurd. It's impossible. If you've watched uh, Princess Bride, it's that statement that's famous from the movie, this is inconceivable. How's it going to take? It's like me. How many golfers do we have here? Pastors always ask you to put up your hands. Eh? I am not a golfer. My friend Murray Donkin has got many holes in one. I'm intimidated before I even get started, so I'm not going to give it a go. But it would be the impossibility is like me winning the U.S. championship. What's it called? U.S. Golf Open Championship thingy. It's like me winning that with never practicing. I mean, this is, this is crazy. I mean, Lord, what are you doing here? I'm a virgin. This, this cannot take place. And there will be a time where, as believers, we find ourselves in that spot where we're thinking, this is crazy. I don't see how this is possible. And maybe for you, that's in forgiving someone. And you're thinking, but Lord, you don't know what they did to me. I, I, this is impossible. I can't forgive them. Or maybe for you, it's to be generous and give, and it was to do a bucket or something that was beyond your means. And you're like, I can't do this. I don't have it. This is an impossibility. Or maybe it's in the area of your marriage and you're trusting that there's going to be healing, but, but you're saying, but Lord, you don't know what they said to me and what I acted like to them and I don't believe the marriage, our marriage can be good again. Or maybe it's reconciliation with children and there's been broken down relationship and you're thinking, no, these people are gone from my life forever. Or maybe it's someone that's needing a touch of healing and you're saying, Lord, the doctors have said there's no hope, whether it be mental. Think about it, George. 
physical, emotional, whichever way it might be, not hope. And that's where we discover Mary is in the midst of this moment. She's saying it's impossible. There's no way. Verse 35, and the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. I love that. Because this isn't a man-sized job. This is a God-sized job. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. For how much is impossible with God? What does it say on this next line? Say it with me. For nothing is impossible with God. Not with yourself. Nothing is impossible with God. And I believe that there are people here today and that you are here today to hear that message where it seems impossible and an impossibility and out of every uh, stretch of your imagination to believe it could happen, I believe God would say to you at this time that nothing is impossible for me. But what he does say is this, is that without faith, it's impossible to please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But in faith, he will say to you, if you place your faith in me, nothing is impossible for me and whatever you might be facing. Because he is all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful. And with just one word, he can send forth his angels on assignment, the hosts of heaven, to shift and to serve his desires for your life and mine. And she's saying, Lord, I can't see this could happen, how this could happen. And the angel is there to tell her nothing is impossible with God. And so there's this, this, this wrestle that's taking place in her life. So I'm going to ask you a question, even as we have that encouragement, as we come to finish, and it's this. What is God in this season, this December, as we look at what, what it represents about the fullness of heaven coming so that we could have fullness of life. His goodness being given as a gift so that we could experience his favor, his blessing, and his destiny for us. What is it that God is asking you in this season to do or to believe? What is he asking you to do or to believe? What is he wanting to interrupt you with that's an invitation to the more, to the better, to the design and desire of the Father's heart for you? What is he wanting you to do or believe that is not going to be like yesterday and it's not even going to be like this morning when you came in thinking this is impossible and I'm just going through another Christmas season to get a list of New Year's um, dreams and goals and desires that I'll probably never accomplish. What is going to be different and shift something as it was shifted 2,000 years ago as God says, I am the same today as I was then? What is he asking of you? For some of you, it might come to you immediately. It might be like a lightning bolt that hits you right now. For some of you, it's going to take prayer and it's going to take resting on him because he loves to speak to you. And we know his voice, but it takes us time to get attuned to it as we start to block out the distractions and we start to delight in the frequencies of heaven. What is it? Is it a restored relationship? Is it maybe to pick up a dream or a desire to start a company or a mission or an NGO, or maybe it's to reach out to someone that you had lost hope for, or maybe you felt they had lost hope for you. And the Lord's saying, no, I want you to press in because nothing is impossible with me. What is God asking you to do or believe? Because here's the thing, are you ready for this? Here's the encouragement. The outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is yours. He's got the outcome. You don't have to worry, how's it going to happen? How's it going to be brought about? How's it going to take place? You've just got to ask yourself, am I being obedient? Because obedience is your responsibility. The outcome is God's responsibility. And in verse 38, she responds, 
I am the Lord's servant. You see, there's this realization. Lord, you ask me to do something. It's way beyond me. I can't do it, but I can be obedient because the outcome is yours. And all that I am is I am your servant. So you say it, I obey it. We start to walk it out and you start to bring heaven's fullness in and through every step. She's basically saying in response, acknowledging before this angel, she's recognizing and reminding herself of who she is and who she is. And she's saying, I belong to the King of Kings. He is my Lord. I'm called to serve him. Though I don't understand, though I can't figure it all out, though it's going to cost me, though it's going to be harder and probably longer than I think, I belong to him. And because I belong to him, I trust him with the outcome and I'm going to serve his purposes. And I love this in verse 38. This is her response. Remember the angel is pitched up. His opening words are, do not be afraid, fear not. He is this awesome um, heavenly being that pitches up and she starts off and she's vacillating. She's thinking, you know what, you know, I've got my plans, but you're telling me about God's purposes and you've interrupted me, but now you're saying it's an invitation and I don't know how to feel in this. Is it honor? Is it fear? And she's going through all these things. The angel pitches up, says fear not. And this is her response at the end of the dialogue that, that our, our trust will be in each of our hearts. I'm gonna read it from the Amplified. She responds to this angel and she says, behold, don't you love that word? Behold, I preached on, as we behold him, we become like him a while ago. And one of the, my friends in the church came to me and said, George, you just made up that word. It's not a real word. It's a real word, people. And this is what behold means. I love it. See or observe someone or something especially remarkable or impressive in nature. It's to see or observe someone or something remarkable um, or impressive in nature. This is someone who was afraid, a little girl who was in fear, not knowing, who had felt interrupted, disrupted, confused, and dismayed. This angel appears, says, fear not. Something shifts in her heart as she hears God's delight, design, and desire for her life. And she realizes this isn't an interruption. This is an invitation. This isn't me giving up my plans. It's me stepping into God's purposes. Something stands her up and brings a strength and a conviction to her that she looks at this angel and she says, behold, she says, look at me. Something has changed in her countenance, disposition, and posturing. And she says, I am a servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And this is the best part of all. And the angel left her. Don't you love that? Do you see the significance? The angel had come to do something on assignment from heaven. And he had shared a message with her to which she had been provoked. She had stepped out of fear into faith. And so she says back, behold, look at me, recognizing something has shifted and that she is favored of God. And the angel goes off at that moment because the angels are ministering saints, they're ministering flames sent to serve the saints. And once we align ourselves with the agenda of heaven, then all of the assignment of heaven is to bring it about. And so the angel is given the, the, the discharge of what he had to bring to, and now he's going to go and affect it. He's going to go and make it happen. And all of it takes place from this young girl saying, I am a servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Whatever you're facing today, whatever's weighing in on you, you have not been given a spirit of fear. You have not been given a spirit of fear. Your God is the God with which impossibilities are natural occurrences. And he's the same God was with, that was with Mary 2,000 years ago. We've just read about her. But let me tell you, he is the same God that's with you. Right here, right now, in this moment. He is the same God, alive and active, kind and generous, lavish and for you, 
who's wanting to send all of the assignment of heaven to interrupt where you might have been stalled and invite you into all that he has for you. Don't be afraid. You have found favor. The Lord is with you. Can we pray? Father, I thank you as we've entered this season. We say, come and interrupt us with your invitations. We say, change our plans with your purpose. We say, favor us with your grace and your kindness and your goodness, with heaven's agenda. We know, Lord, that there's angelic activity in this place because we know that there are angels that encamp around those who fear the name of the Lord. And we revere and we say your name is awesome in this place. And so we thank you for heavenly activity as we are those who really in our prayer, Lord, we are just saying, Lord, we wanting to, to obey what you're saying. We wanting to do what you're calling us to just to do and believe. And so we invite you to come and move significantly in and through us as your people in this Christmas period, in the mighty name of Jesus, we give you glory and we say, amen. 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 amen.